Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. We also dive deep into the tools and data you need to ensure a winning influencer marketing campaign. So let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. I'm your host Pratik Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo, the universal API for creator data. Now joining me today is Jim Huffman. He's an author, entrepreneur, and CEO of Growth Hit. Jim is a banker turned entrepreneur who has grown not only one but two startups to raise over $10 million in sales. As a marketing instructor and mentor, Jim is an industry leader who has a proven track record of leading successful global marketing strategies for a variety of different global brands. So today we are going to sit down with Jim and we're going to talk about a lot of different topics, including how he scaled his agency, how he's been coming up with this concept of 22 different steps to scale an e-commerce company. He's also actually ended up acquiring an e-commerce company in the process. We are going to learn a lot from Jim. Uh, Before we get started into the conversation, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss out on latest episodes. Thank you so much, Jim, for joining us. It's great to have you here. Yeah, Pratik, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. All right, awesome. So before we get started into the deep intricacies of your agency journey, give me one hot take on influencer marketing. Yeah, I think influencer marketing, people default to be like, oh, let's use influencers to like use their audience to drive more traffic, kind of an acquisition game. I think influencer marketing is much better from a conversion standpoint because influencers are phenomenal at essentially demoing a product and showcasing it in a real light rather than beautiful Photoshop photos. So I like influencer content, not for acquisition, but for bottom of the funnel, meaning like use their content on your product pages in your emails. That's where the rubber meets the road. They help with that buying decision as opposed to to top of funnel, where I think that's almost gravy. That's awesome. And you've been working with hundreds of brands and do you see this trend picking up with brands as well? Like are brands actually realizing this part as well? Because in the past, let's say even till maybe a year or two ago, influencer marketing was largely seen as a branding exercise, helps you get visibility, a lot of views, a lot of engagement. And what you're suggesting is really bottom of the funnel ROI. Exactly. And and like, think about it. When you get to the bottom of the funnel to buy a shirt or something, you're like, wait, this model is beautiful and amazing. Like, how's it going to fit on me? And obviously, a lot of influencers also look nice, but it's it's real content. It's video content. They're showing you like how it moves and how it works. And a lot of people want to see the like authentic user generated content. And that's what gets people over the edge, because whether it's because there's a lot of reasons why people don't convert. It's confusion, it's size, it's fit. And influencers are kind of like black belt at like demoing products and showing you that nuance that you need to make a buying decision. And I, I'm surprised when more people don't do that. Because if you look at some of like the best brands, go to the product detail pages and look at the influencer and user-generated content they have on the pages showcasing the product. There's a very smart reason why they're doing that. 
That's awesome. And we will touch a little bit more on this UGC aspect or user-generated content. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your background and journey. How did you go from investment banking to marketing to starting your growth marketing agency? Yeah, I was a finance major out of college. I had no idea what your options were. I thought it was like, oh, you could be like investment banking or consulting. So like, okay, I'll do option one. Went down that path, lived in spreadsheets for a while, quickly realized, I, I think there's some other options that are out there. And I like left the supposedly safe job, worked um, at a startup writing email copy for newsletters, doing like Facebook ads. People are like, what, what are you doing? I had no idea what I was doing, um, but got lucky, was a part of some high growth uh, startups. And as a non-technical person, that means you're marketing and sales. Um, I was in New York at the time. And then I also got connected with some venture capital firms and startup accelerators where I was mentoring founders on growth and marketing. And uh, that led to me being this accidental agency owner. And that was um, over six years now, kind of going down this path. But um, I got lucky in the sense that I was really obsessed with this idea of growth hacking and growth marketing as I was kind of starting to consult on the side. And by choosing a, an emerging category that had high demand and a low experience allowed me to shortcut working with some some bigger companies that I wouldn't have been able to do if I would have been like a generic marketing agency. So that's kind of like the winding accidental path from finance to, to having a, a growth marketing agency. That's amazing. I have friends who've moved from finance to marketing and it can be tough, right? And uh, it looks like you've pretty much done everything, getting your hands dirty with, uh, you know, everything marketing. Tried. There's like this idea of a T-shaped marketer, right? Where, okay, let me understand at a high level or service level, all the things of marketing, like paid acquisition on social and Google, SEO, product-led um, growth, conversion rate optimization. And then you want to be intentional with where you go deep, right? It's like, I'm really good at scripts and content creation for influencers. Or wow, I'm really good at like UI, UX and like onboarding people. And I think it's in the early days, figuring out where where you can go deep versus where you're kind of better at more of a surface level. Yeah, since you mentioned a T-shaped marketer, you know, so many different concepts keep coming up. One of the ones that I am starting to get more aligned with is called a pie-shaped marketer, pie as in the Greek alphabet. So basically you are trying to be good at two things. When I look at myself as a pie-shaped marketer, I feel like I have two things that I'm strong at, which is product marketing and growth marketing. So I know we're digressing a little bit here, but all the marketers listening to the show, look up pie-shaped marketer. I think MKT1 has an entire blog on this and we'll link it out as well. And it's a really good read. And it just tries to say that so much is expected out of marketers these days that probably T-shaped is not enough. You have to you know, build your expertise in more than one segments, right? It, life's tough. It's getting tougher as a marketer. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and marketing means a bazillion different things to a bazillion different people, right? When you do marketing. So yeah, it's a tough brush to be painted with, I guess, sometimes. Talking about tough life of a marketer, um, what does your day look like as the CEO of GrowthHit? You're running a fairly big, fast-growing growth marketing agency. What does your day typically look like? What keeps you excited? Yeah, I think everyone listening, you wear different hats. So it's like, what hat am I putting on today, right? So one hat is like, so yeah, we're 
approaching 40 people like a mid seven figure agency. And a lot of times I still wear sales as a hat. That is a very important one where I'm like, oh, we're saying, okay, are we getting enough traffic, enough leads? How are sales calls looking? How are we progressing? How's the pipeline? And so I do have those calls throughout the day. Another hat is just kind of, if people do the entrepreneur operating system from the book Traction is like the visionary hat where I'm meeting with the executive team, thinking through, we work in kind of like quarterly business cycles. I'm like, hey, are we, how are we progressing for the quarter and whatnot? Looking at finances, talking to the ops team. And so those are the two hats I put on quite a bit for growth. The fun hat that I like to do, but don't to do as much of is content creation. So whether it's like recording podcasts or like thinking through frameworks, that's one I don't get to do as much. And then recently with the acquisition of a company we'll probably get into need apparel, I'm like everything with that, whether it's like the janitor to the marketer. So you notice there's a lot of transitioning going on there. So I try and like think through Mondays are sales days and internal meeting days. And then Fridays are more of creative days. And then in between the Tuesday to Thursday can kind of fluctuate because I've struggled with transitioning. We're like, okay, because when I'm in like operations and finance mode, it's hard to all of a sudden be like, oh, let's think of a creative ad campaign. It's like, wait, like my number's in a spreadsheet right now. I can't think of witty copy right now. That's something that it's easier said than done, but I'm trying to get better at with how my day goes. Because as you know, like you yourself as like a VP, like firefighting is very real. And sometimes you have a plan for the day and then like a Slack or an email comes across your desk you're like well there goes my next three hours you know so yeah yeah spot on and while you were saying that i was just trying to recall the same i've tried to have this plan so many times where i keep one day or two days of the week just for creative work because your week can go by so fast going through all the things that your entire marketing team is doing that it's really tough to find time to do that creative thinking that is actually helpful to move the needle, right? That's what creates the impact. So going from there, right? And you mentioned a little bit about your podcast also. I I know you run your own show. It's called If I Was Starting Today. So if I was starting today, a growth marketing agency, what should I be doing or not doing? Oh, that's a fun one. So first, what I would do is like, Ask yourself, where do you have an unfair advantage to compete? Because something I didn't do till later on was really niche down and specialize. And the reason why you don't do this is because you're like, I've got to make money. I'll be everything to everybody. You can kind of do that in the early days, but you eventually got to plant a flag in the sand where I'm like, I am a growth marketing agency that just works on Shopify Plus clients doing D2C marketing or I'm just a paid ad specialist for SaaS companies that want to get leads and demos. Because here's what's magical about when you make that hard decision to specialize. Yes, you're going to say no to a lot of things. But when people need what you offer, they're going to land on your website. They're going to talk to you. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, it's like you were created for me. So category and service selection is everything. And if you can ride an emerging wave or trend that's only getting bigger, that is great. So for example, I got lucky that I chose growth marketing and growth hacking as Sean Ellis and Andrew Chin are writing about that. It could be like the services. It could be a tech stack, right? Where it's like, I just focus on Shopify or I just do like 
AI-based marketing tactics. Another thing is industry. I see people be like, we get like clients coming to us that do cannabis work. We're like, oh, there's so much regulation. Don't hire us. And there's agencies that are like, oh, we only work on cannabis. And so choosing your specialty is everything. So doing that right. The second thing I would be thinking through is are you doing something that directly ties to an impact on revenue? Because if they see the impact of what you have on the business, you're going to be much stickier. So that means having something that impacts revenue, but also is more retainer-based than project-based. Because if it's retainer-based, you close one client, you can work with them for 12 months. If it's project-based, you get one client, you can work for them for 60 to 90 days, and then you have to close a lot more deals. So your business Business model selection for retention over project base, I think, is, is huge. So you can have better lifetime value. But those are some of just some of the high level things I'm, I'm thinking through. Awesome. Talking about impact to bottom line and revenue, right? I will ask you another, if I was starting today question, I love the name of your podcast, by the way. So if I was starting today, uh, if I'm an e-commerce brand and if I was starting influencer marketing today, what do you think somebody should keep in mind? Yeah, well, I think it's being very intentional. Like, okay, what's the goal here? Are you using them to spread and evangelize the brand? Or are you using leveraging influencers to get some amazing content that you can use for other purposes, right? And so if it's the first question, ask yourself, I think it's easy to fall in love with the idea of an influencer, whether it's a big one or micro-influencer, but ask yourself, do they have an engaged audience that actually aligns with the problem we're solving or the product that we have? Because we've had some better success going with micro-influencers that maybe have a small audience to the eye, but geez, when you get the product in front of them, it resonates and it works extremely well. So that's one call out. The other thing is, there's an example of a client that I think did influencer marketing the best that I think is worth highlighting. So it's Ballin Nursing Shoes. And they make ex Nike team that makes shoes for nurses. They look really cool. So instead of wearing Crocs, wear these. And what they did with influencer marketing was really best in class. I think a lot of brands should emulate. So first, they built up a database of all nursing influencers. They did interviews with them to really like get feedback for them on product development. They spoke to over 200. And then when they were able to launch their shoes, they recorded like this funny video. And, and instead of getting actors, they had influencers play all of the roles. So the video launches, influencers are featured in it. They do this thunderclap of making noise where all these micro-influencers are posting it on their Instagram. They had one main nursing influencer that posted on theirs. They ended up doing like 1.5 million in sales in 72 hours on the back of that campaign. So if I were starting today, I would copy that exact playbook and approach it that way if the goal is acquisition. That's amazing. I think that example is also spot on. From that, right, going to an e-commerce brand that you ended up acquiring, how did that happen? Running an agency to acquiring an e-commerce brand and what was the story behind that? Yeah, we've worked with over 150 brands now. So we've seen things work and we've seen it not work. But our, our goal isn't necessarily to be a a growth marketing agency forever. We'll, we'll always have our agency, but we're like, if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own stuff? So we've started to put together this Venn diagram of like, what would be the perfect thing to acquire or to partner with? So we got really lucky in the sense that we have an existing client 
that has a really great brand that does well. And then they launched this other brand and they were too busy to do anything with it. And we were just like falling in love with this. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is just sitting on the sidelines. Like, let's do something. So the company is, is Neat Apparel. They make sweatproof shirts. And here's why I like it. It's a men's essential fashion brand. I don't necessarily like fashion because of return rate and having to follow trends. I like that it's an essential brand. So it's kind of timeless and classic. But the best part is they have this um, IP, intellectual property around their fabric. So when you sweat, there's actually like these lines on the inside that spread the sweat so it runs off the shirt so it doesn't come through on the exterior. Exterior, So you could be sweating and it doesn't show. And it was actually made by this PhD for the military, for people in the desert. The founder was smart enough to buy the IP. And so we're like, oh my gosh, you have an amazing product. You have a moat of IP. They have this rabid customer base that likes it, but they just have been neglecting it. As far as like checking the box on what we want, it had that. And then we were able to kind of strike up a deal where we could do something together. And the big thing is like, we are horrible at product development and operations at customer service. Like we don't know how to do that. Like we can maybe figure it out, but it's going to be ugly. So the beauty is like, they can do what they're good at. And then we can come in and focus on what we're good at, which is growth marketing, like running paid ads, doing email and SMS, building like an amazing brand and doing conversion rate optimization really well. So we're super fired up to, to see how that plays out. But ask me in a couple of years if it was a good use of our time and money to invest in in a company, but hopefully it'll pay off. Yeah, I mean, that would have been my question, right? Like, it's a tough call to make because you also start thinking whether that's going to be a distraction, right? And going from your agency to running an e-commerce brand. But yes, I will take you up on that in two years time. Uh, I'm going to ask you how that all played out. Can, can I ask you a question? Sure. So if you were me acquiring this brand and want to use influencers, because this is what we're thinking, like we're doing new photo shoots for the product, but we're like, man, we need user-generated content. We need good influencer content. And like I said at the top, I want it for the website. Yes, I want it for ads as well, um, just because I think influencers make the best content. How would you approach influencer marketing in using user-generated content and influencers as we're like just getting started? Yeah, I think, Jim, first thing that you are already doing right is looking at influencers, not just for ads, right? Most brands, when they think about influencer marketing, they think that, okay, it's a great opportunity for us to get our brand or our product in the hands of an influencer, get them to post a video, they'll post a video, we'll boost it a little, done, you move on to the next campaign and do that again with a bunch of creators, right? The idea is to also look at influencers truly as creators. And when you start looking at them as creators is when you start thinking about user-generated content, how do I get some of this content onto my website, onto my social channels, onto my newsletter, and so many other places, right? And I think that's first and foremost. Two is I would, I'm a big fan of micro and nano influencers, especially when you're starting out. I think you can really go very specific into a niche and, you know, handpick the kind of influencers you want to work with. A lot of brands that are launching today out of Shopify stores or different other platforms are also selling globally. So the other factor that I would keep in mind is take care of diversity and inclusivity from the beginning itself. And that doesn't just mean that I'm going to do that because that is expected, but make that as part of your 
day to day, talk to different kind of influencers and creators so that you truly understand what this product means for you, right? And let's, let's say for your case, you have this great t-shirt that works in hot climate. Of course, you should go talk to influencers who live in India in Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, South America, where it gets really hot and sweaty and humid. There are hot places which are dry too, where you don't sweat a lot, but there are like extremely hot and humid places as well, which would be great markets for something like this. And bringing on those kind of stories as part of this user-generated content is what is helpful. So I would say do these top three things at least, and you would be ahead of 90% of the brands out there just by doing this. That's awesome. I like the international component as well as like going to those countries that have like the hottest climate. I'm already thinking because we're thinking through the U.S. states, but like the, the international approach, like, oh, I mean, I love that idea. Yeah, I mean, see, it's not just about people. I am a brown skin person from India. I tend to sweat more than maybe more white-skinned people in the U.S., right? And I lived in California. I'm now in Canada. So that doesn't matter. I still like, this is my skin type. This is my body, which means that you also have to talk to more diverse influencers or creators. Even if they are in your market that you want to sell, you have to talk to different people because that's when you get the true insights out. But more than that, as you do these stories and post it out on your channels, on your website, somebody else connects with that story because they think that, oh, that's me. I need to get this because that's exactly my problem, right? And it's not so much, yes, of course, weather is weather plays a part, but a lot of other factors play a part in whether you sweat or not, right? Like it's weather, it's your skin type, it's what you eat, so many other factors, right? How much you work out and so on, right? So yeah, I mean, you know, adding that layer of diversity and inclusivity, I think is extremely helpful in the early days. It helps shape not only your brand, but also helps build a stronger close-knit community, which is, has, I would say, has deeper impact long term. Awesome. Well, I need to send you a shirt as well for when you're going back home to India so you can <laughs> run hot and look cool. So yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I look looking forward to that. All right, cool. So you've worked with a lot of e-commerce brands also. And since we were talking about user-generated content, right? How else are you using user-generated content or are you using influencers for doing content more than just like promotions and ads? Yeah, we love user generated content. Obviously, like some of our social ads on Facebook, Instagram, Meta, our best performing ads almost always have user generated content or influencer content on it. But for us, we really like hang our hat on conversion rate optimization. And as we like do more and more research on like brands, there's literally no more than seven reasons why people don't convert. It could be confusion, quality, sizing, pricing. And so a lot of those are like value and trust signals, right? So influencers do a phenomenal job of it feels authentic. It feels real because it is on like how they showcase the product, which when you try kind of do it yourself on the website or do it with like an e-commerce photo or video shoot. It just doesn't come across the same way. So on these product detail pages, we love having this kind of strip of like three to five influencers showcasing the unboxing, showcasing the details of the stitching, also like how and when to wear it. Because if you can own more use cases in the mind of a consumer on how to wear a shirt or when to wear it, you're increasing the frequency of it and you're going to increase 
increase the overall value or someone's like, oh, I'm going to wear the crap out of that. That's my new go-to shirt or whatever it is. And so influencers are a secret weapon for the bottom of the funnel for conversion rate optimization. So we love it on PDP pages. We love it on home pages as well as we're like funneling people to flagship products and categories. So that's been a huge component in how we use it. I think that's pretty cool. And you've mentioned this a couple of times. Your your focus is on bottom of the funnel, driving sales. What other metrics are important for you as you plan out influencer campaigns? Let's talk in the scope of e-commerce since you've worked with a lot of brands in that space. Yeah, I mean, as we go from like top to bottom of the funnel, like obviously if we're running ads, like we we love seeing just like engagement on an ad with influencer content versus static image versus tech spec ad. That's where you show like the nuance of the product versus professionally done. Because the other key thing is whenever you're running like Facebook or Instagram ads, you have to play by the rules of what Meta and Facebook say. And before you can go for the purchase, they care about engagement. They care about monthly active users. So what content gets people to engage engage. And so if you want to have like a really efficient spend, influencer content can be great for just playing well with the algorithm. So that's one is like, what's the engagement click through rate at top of the funnel to help with the overall health of our campaign. And then no doubt we care about going for the jugular for ROAS and cost per acquisition. And middle of the funnel, Really what I'm looking at, like with like influencer content is like, we'll do some pretty extreme experiments on landing pages from ads where we'll have a cohesive experience from an influencer ad. They land on the page. There's that same influencer talking about it. Maybe it's a little bit more long form because if you're on a website experience, they're going to be there longer than potentially on the social platform. And so that's one thing that we're playing with because it, it feels very natural as it's that same person playing for it. And there's even, um, I'm kind of derailing from like, I know obviously like when we speak with numbers there, we're looking at like add to cart and then conversion to really understand how that compares to the kind of baseline of organic traffic or all traffic. But there's this other kind of feature you can do where you make a landing page experience that's similar to a story. So it's on your Shopify site, but it's not a true landing page. It feels like a story on mobile or real where it's that same influencer talking, but there's a call to action at the bottom, which is like shop now. And so that, that's been really helpful with getting our conversion rate up, but it's all kind of built on the back of influencer content in what is a much more fun way to experience content, experience a brand, experience a product if the influencer does a good job of making the content. That's awesome. And I think the key thing is what you said at the end, right? Like identifying influencers who would be best for you and therefore would do a great job at producing that content, right? How do you go about finding influencers for the brands that you work with? Yeah, there's a few different ways. Like there's obviously platforms out there that we can use to source it is one way. Another option is they'll have like this wish list, but then we have to be very realistic where it's like, okay, are you wanting micro influencers or big influencers? Because if it's big influencers, like do you even have the budget to go after them, right? So it's kind of like based on their budget and what they want, but usually we're kind of like pointing them in the direction of of, of good tools to use, which you can speak very well to more so than me. But what we do is we try and script out whether you go to a micro influencer or a big influencer, here's the ideal kind of script or storyboard we would want. And then we have them factor in geography. We have them factor in engagement, age of the person, because a lot of times people will fall in love with somebody, but it's like, is that aligned with 
the market you're trying to serve, the consumers you're going after. So kind of have to, to reel them in a little bit. Awesome. And let's talk a little bit about influencer marketing and growth marketing, right? You've been talking a lot about conversions, ROAS, and so on. What do you think is the relationship between influencer marketing and growth marketing? And I'll add my perspective on what I think is going to happen, but what do you think about what's happening and where is it headed? Yeah. So if we think of growth marketing, like what does that mean compared to traditional marketing? Traditional marketing is more top of the funnel where it's like, okay, we come up with the Mad Men style ad campaign. We get it approved. We put it out there. Boom. We make money. We sit back and drink our scotch, right? Growth marketing is more of this kind of full funnel approach where it's like, how can the marketing team be involved and not just top of the funnel to drive traffic, middle of the funnel to activate it, bottom of the funnel to get conversion? And then also, how do we turn customers into marketers with the idea of like referral mechanisms or growth loops, right? So think of it as traditional marketing has one key touch point to have an impact. Growth marketing is all through the funnel. So if we have that foundation of what growth marketing means, the question is, okay, okay, where does influencer marketing play in this? Because I think naturally it's like, oh, ads, top of the funnel, and then we're done. Kind of like what you said. Whereas I think that's kind of like, just the tip of the iceberg. For us, it's much more around that bottom of the funnel. That's where we've seen the biggest improvements. And like the top of the funnel is just icing on the cake. So it's like, where can you do that? Even at bottom of the funnel, when doing that referral mechanism is you can even turn like VIP customers into marketers where you're like, hey, if you like share a video of the product, if you um, share an image of you in the product, we're going to give you a discount, give you a free product. Or if you like yourself, like share this out, we'll give you these incentives. And so those are things that, that we think through that, that work extremely well. The other component I'd say with this is when I think of growth marketing, you have two ways to do growth marketing. Uh, when you're building out your growth calendar, you have always on channels that you're always doing, but then you have marketing moments that you're not always doing, but you can do one to 12 times a year. So with your marketing moments or growth events, the question to ask yourself is, when am I deploying influencer marketing to make noise? I like doing it in one of two ways. One is when we are in peak season where there's high demand, how do I amplify that by getting the word out there, by doing a big influencer campaign to spread it across with 50 influencers to make noise? So that's one. The second way I like to do it, not in a peak season, but in a trough. So a lot of companies right now, we're talking to Q4, they're in peak season. They're going to make a lot of money, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Q1 is going to be rough. They're going to have a hangover. Nobody's going to want their product. That's when I get creative. It's like, all right, Let's do some crazy collaboration with a bunch of influencers. Like with Need Apparel, we want to do this water balloon campaign where we're going to like pay influencers to put a water balloon in their shirt, pop it, and prove that it doesn't spread water, right? I'm not going to do that in Q4 where it's like time to make money. But like when it's a trough season, let's get creative and use influencers to do stuff that'll just get people's attention. So um, those are ways that I think through when building out your growth plan or strategy. That's super cool. And uh, I think that's the key thing that you have to look at influencer marketing as pretty much a means to growth. And you look at the entire funnel and plan things accordingly. And what I wanted to get to also is if you're a growth marketer and you're listening to this, 
you have to start understanding how influencer content works, how influencer marketing works. Because at some point, I know today a lot of companies actually have a separate influencer marketing team, but pretty much they would have to become a part of the growth team for them to be effective. And as a growth marketing leader, you have to start getting serious about this. Yeah. And I'd even say having a connection with customer service, because like, as you start to see why people return it or don't like the products, like, wow, people like don't understand fit. So the returns are high. It's like, boom, let's do an influencer campaign that talks about this material and how it fits a little bit differently and what to know. Um, if you if you just have those open lines of communication, it can be huge for the bottom line in the business. Awesome. Yeah, Jim, uh, another thing is you've had some experience with productized services. A lot of our listeners are influencer marketing agency owners. Would you have any recommendations for them on productizing their service? Yeah. So yeah, Growth Hit is our growth marketing agency. We launched a productized service about a year and a half ago called One Day Design, where we design a landing page or Shopify page for you in a day. We did the design and development at a very low cost. And so comparing that to Growth Hit, when you do a Growth Hit sell, it's a strategic sell. It's like McKinsey. It's like, okay, let's get into your growth strategy, what we could do. When you sell a productized service, it's not a strategic sell. It's a transaction-based sell where it's like McDonald's. You want a cheeseburger or chicken nuggets, right? It's black or white. So and in the early days, it's okay to experiment, but like really get dialed in what that offering is, what the price is, what your margins are, because what's nice about it, you're going to be able to scale much better because you as the CEO are going to have to like do this strategic sell. It's going to be very black and white, but to do that really well, Think through, there's this idea of offer-led growth, where if you come up with the most irresistible offer, where it's like a no-brainer decision, you're going to make it so much easier for your sales team. So our offer-led growth with One Day Design, it's like, we're going to get you a page in 24 hours. We give you a guarantee that it's going to have a lift in conversion. If not, we'll, we'll do it until we get it. If you arm your sales team with the right price, the right offer, you're going to make it easier for them. And then there's a whole conversation on like, growing and scaling. But I think if you nail those things, it'll help quite a bit. And I'd even give the same advice around like with growth hit, niching down and focusing. I think it's okay in the early days to like put some blinders on and just focus on like, oh, I only work with fitness influencers or only work with influencers in the bridal space or, or whatever that would be. I, I think it's okay to do that. And then you could always expand later. Super cool. All right, Jim, I think we are getting towards the end of our discussion. And I want to ask you something a little more fun before we head back to our day jobs. Which influencer would you most like to take out to lunch and why? Oh, man, that's a good question. I don't know if we'll call them an influencer. It's all about like how we define an influencer. But I think it's fairly top of mind because I did this like retreat thing where we did ice baths. But I think Wim Hof would be like really just different. I could choose a bunch of business people, but with Wim Hof, I mean, who has had a bigger influence than him lately? Like you see all these ice bath companies that are emerging in that trend. And it's really on the back of the influence he's had with that. And so I think that one would be very different from my normal lunches. So I'd go with uh, Wim Hof. Yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, talking about ice baths, it is intense. You spend a day or two on Instagram or TikTok. It is not possible that you've not come across a <laughs> ice bath video, somebody <laughs> jumping into an ice bath, right? It's like suddenly this craze, right? It's, it's yeah. crazy. 
No, it, it's it's so crazy. And I did it, and it, it was like transformative, but I haven't done it again. I need to man up and do it some more. I know some folks who've been so addicted to or have enjoyed the ice bath experience, they've gotten stuff installed in their own houses. So it's pretty cool. Maintains a consistent temperature. You don't really have to plunge ice in it and uh, you know then jump in. But <laughs> there are so many companies now building these products. It's almost like a sauna for yeah. a portable sauna, but for ice baths. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's pretty cool how industries get created. Yeah, exactly. I, I respect the, the hustle. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Jim, as we sign off, do you have any recommendations or advice for all the marketers listening to this? No, just embrace failing. We're always put on pressure to come up with a campaign that outperforms everything. Like, that's not how it works. You mess up a bazillion times and then you have one thing that kind of works and you ride that. So I would just embrace failing and iterating your way to finding the right path, the right ad, the right influencer campaign. And don't be so hard on yourself. I think that's great advice, Jim. And on that, actually, I would ask you a follow-up question. A lot of marketers, right, and you come from a marketing background. You've, When I say marketing background, yes, you studied finance, but you've been getting your hands dirty with everything marketing, and so have I and a bunch of other people I know. But the thing that I hear a lot from everybody who works with me on my team throughout the last 10, 15 years always struggle that if your leader understands marketing and they've done that before, they understand that there's going to be a lot of failures. And then there are a lot of leaders who think that marketing is just, you throw money at the problem and you're going to get growth. And if when you don't get that growth, then the problem is with the marketer. So advice for marketers, how do you go communicate this? Like, yes, you gave the advice that it's okay to fail. How do you have this conversation with your stakeholders that this is how marketing works? Yeah, that's a really good question. The first thing I like to do is like understand what language they speak. Are they a brand person that speaks in Photoshop? Are they a salesperson that speaks in that language? Are they a numbers person that speaks in Excel spreadsheets? So it's like, okay, what number or what language do they use? What do they care about? So once we know their kind of business love language, then I start to approach the conversation and I try and get buy-in on like, yes, we need lift in sales or leads or whatever it is, but it's also wins are also like standing up experiments and having these milestones. And by doing that, you start getting them bought in on the process. And the more they start to see the input in the machine you're building, the more comfortable they're going to be with, hey, when like a campaign isn't a Rainmaker campaign and it's flat. So it's like understand their language, speak their business love language, get them involved at whatever level on the process and the machine you're building. Because if they see that, then they'll understand the highs and lows because the worst thing that can happen is you don't speak the language and they think marketing is a black box where all of a sudden you emerge with results and when that doesn't happen they're like i'm going to get a new black box that can be dangerous all right awesome i think that was great advice jim thank you so much for spending time with us today and it was an absolute blast talking to you yeah thank you for the time man uh, really excited to be on here all right thanks a lot jim awesome thank you Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get, 
phyllo.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening. 